Welcome to the good, the bad, and the sequel Q&A. My name's Doug. So, the next sequel that we're going to be covering is another first for us. Like, we've talked about, it seems like, so much in 2023. These are movies that, oh yeah, we, yeah, I saw that, but, oh man, maybe I didn't fully see this because I'm enjoying this movie, you know, beginning to end uh, on, a, on a, like, a first watch level, which is pretty neat. So yeah, another one coming up, Terminator Genesis, and for it... I chatted with uh, an individual that wears a lot of hats, acting, directing, producing, you know, in, in uh, Terminator Genesis, he was acting, he was Agent Burke, and uh, I'm talking about Griff first. Oh, man. Griff was such a blast to talk to. Right now, now he has a new movie out that he produced, and he actually has a small role in it as well. Uh, it's called Devil's Peak. stars Billy Bob Thornton, Robin Wright. And I always want to say Robin Wright pen, but she dropped the pen. But so Robin Wright and Jackie O'Haley, you know, Kelly Leak from Bad News, Bad News Bears. So, yeah, pretty awesome movie. Me and my wife watched it a few weeks ago. Really cool. Beautifully shot. The scenery in it. Absolutely love. Absolutely love. So, yeah, so me and Griff talked about, you know, how he got into this crazy business. Well, you know how his dad is legendary actor, Stephen first Flander and animal house. One of the scene stealing roles. Obviously you had, you know, Belushi, you looked at his role. You're like, man, this guy's, he's supposed to be that guy, but Flander steals the movie in so many different lines. Hello. So yeah, that was his dad. So he grew up, he wasn't alive during Animal House, but having his dad to look up to when he was on St. Elsewhere, Dream Team, so many movies and TV shows over the years that he was able to see, you know what, this is what I want to do. So then he goes into acting. We talk about that and how he goes to the the right school that somebody recommended to us. A former guest went there as well. And we talk about her a little bit. And then how he got into directing at such a young age. And and one thing I loved about this, and this is another thing for 2023 I'm really enjoying with these interviews, is asking questions that maybe I wasn't comfortable enough or maybe I just haven't thought of in the last four years. So we talk about, you know, what the process is because Griff, you know, he has Half-Baked 2 coming out this year as well that he produced. Uh, not only does he love comedies and uh, he's a really funny guy, but also dramas. He one those are the books he likes to turn into movies like Devil's Peak. But so we talk about that process of like how does that start? Do you connect the uh, contact the writer directly? You know, agent. How do you know they have an agent? So many different things. So it's pretty neat to talk about that and how hard it is to get some sequels made and uh, pretty much everything in between. Griff was uh, a fun guy to talk to. So yeah, do me a favor if you're new here. Please subscribe, like, share, follow us on everything that you can. And if you've been there, if you've been here before, welcome back. You look great. Did you do something with your hair? And also, my buddy Larry Hankin, who I helped uh, a little bit, a smidgen, uh, in the process of putting together his memoirs. So I'll put that in the episode notes. It's called That Guy, A Cautionary Tale. Great stuff. Loved working with them on the book and the reviews are in. People are really enjoying it. So I'll put that episode link in the notes as well and just search on Amazon. But yeah, so without further ado, here is actor, producer, director, Griff First. Cool, and yeah, so what I like to do with this, Griff, is really finding out, you know, obviously things that you're working on and, but it's more like the journey to get to where it all began. 
So yeah. for you, obviously, your dad was an actor. At like what age? Like when was that something that was in the cards for you that you thought like, well, and not even just acting, like you wore so many different hats, you know, producing, writing, editing. So what was like your first foray into it? I, I always knew that I wanted to do it because it's like I was super close to my dad. Um, yeah. And you I mean, when you have a family business, it's like uh, I mean, as you're probably very statistically likely that you're going to go into that, whether you're a dentist or yeah. uh, a, a landscape architect or whatever it is. It's like uh, you'll have a natural inclination from being around it just from the nostalgia of it all, I guess. Um, so I mean, before I can remember, I knew that I wanted to be an actor when I was a kid. It's all my father did. I would yeah. go with him to set all the time. And it sure looked like a lot of fun uh, <laughs> to, be, to be other people. and also. You know, actors get treated like royalty on set, so that didn't that didn't uh, that didn't hurt in 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 my desires to be in front of the camera, right? To see to see that, you know, when I was like, I want to say like nine or ten years old, my father was on a sitcom, uh, and he needed a kid on the sitcom, and they actually no experience. They offered me the gig, but it was in front of a live audience, and I was way too shy. I was like, Nah, nah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm gonna wait till I go through high school, have a normal childhood. Um, and then I'll start doing it. And, and so that's that, that's what I did. As soon as I graduated high school, I thought it was going to be easy because my father was in the business and he was a well-known actor. Um, not the case at all. Like I couldn't get arrested after like a thousand auditions from the time I was 17 until about 20. Uh, and then I realized, I started doing research and realized that anybody who uh, is in a position that I wanted to be in is highly trained and disciplined and has done the work. And so I buckled up and, and started actually doing the work and not relying on my, uh, uh, my father's uh, prominence in the, in the industry to help me out because it, it had no help. <laughs> yeah, so what was, what was the show that your dad, because you did have an early role on the show that him and Pankin did together. You worked on that. How old were you then? I did, but I was, I mean, I, that was probably, I was probably 16 when oh, I okay. did that show. Actually, yeah, that would have been my first thing. And that was, and you just had Stuart on this, didn't you? I had him last year. Yeah. Yeah. I love him. I, we actually reconnected uh, recently. I, I brought him onto something I was producing because I, I love Stuart. We spent so much time yeah. at his house when I was a kid. Uh, he's, oh, like, really? nice. he, he's like family to me for sure. Um, and I just such a lovely man uh, and funny as hell. Uh, so um, yeah, that was really one of the first things. And that was, uh, that was something for diabetes association that my father was doing for them. And we actually shot in where I grew up with them like all in the neighborhood and he's like hey you want to do this thing and i was like sure so that's the first time i actually hopped in the front of the camera uh for a minute it was fun <laughs> was your dad's background like improv or anything because that Stuart got got that like later on i was shocked that he wasn't like fully trained on improv he was something that he kind of he even said he's like i'm not an improviser but I, i'm thinking about all the different things he was on over the years he's like an improv guy but he doesn't like he won't like wear that Brit badge i guess <laughs> he, my my dad was uh he's from the theater okay. um so he went to virginia commonwealth university he put up a lot i think he was kind of a star at our theater department enough so that he, he uh uh he he moved out to la because he did well enough in that environment um so also where he met his mom in, in theater um so he started there and i i have heard that he did do stand-up uh prior to animal house which is 1977 wow. um so but it wasn't something that he did I mean, he was a comedian for sure, but I don't, he didn't do stand up when I was a kid. Um, Animal House is before I was born, but I, I did hear, and my mother has talked about how he did do stand up uh, 
prior to uh, uh, to becoming an actor. That's amazing. <laughs> oh my god! You just think about that role, like how memorable that uh, part is in that movie. I talked to a few people that were like involved with that. Eliza Roberts, who yeah, I know Eliza. Eliza's Eliza great. Yeah. yeah, so she had good things to say about your dad, and then I talked with uh, uh, Bernstein, uh, Elmer Bernstein's son. I interviewed Peter, and mm-hmm. his dad did the score of the movie, and he had a funny story about like how John Landis, when he was getting to do Animal House, he basically told the studio without them knowing that he knew Elmer from going to high school with Peter, and he's like, "Yeah, I want to do this movie, and I'm going to get Elmer B- Bernstein to score it," and they were basically bullshit, and then. He they made the phone call without him telling them like oh I know Elmer and then that kind of gave him a little more gravitas with that That's movie very cool. because he was able to get a guy that doesn't do comedies like Elmer Bernstein prior to Animal House was just doing serious movies and then from there he did all comedies for like ten years and then he was over it and then went back to serious stuff but yeah but yeah all roads lead back to Animal House I think all those uh, connections yeah, that was like I- the first of that type of movie really it was it was yeah it was the first kind of college uh comedy you know i I know it was pretty um pretty edgy and controversial at the time again i was i wasn't around my mother's actually in the movie she's pregnant with my brother who's three years older than me um (laughs) so yeah both my parents are actually in animal house (laughs) my mother's the woman who he buys ten thousand marbles from uh in act three right before they go to the parade yeah Uh, (laughs) and you can see her with her little belly with my with my brother in there that's cool did she act too she did. She did. But um, so they moved to L.A. and she immediately got pregnant with my brother and my father uh, got Animal House. And then so she really when we were young, she was home all the time, nonstop with the R's. So she she definitely put that on hold, um, especially because my dad was so busy. He was traveling everywhere because yeah. he got Animal House within like six months of getting to L.A. Wow. Um, and so she let him do his thing. And then once we got a little older, she got her law degree and she does she does. She's a woman of many talents, but she's, wow, she nice. retired from acting pretty much as soon as they got to L.A. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool because you kind of had that in your blood, even though, you know, obviously your dad, you still had the other person that had that background as well. So so where did you end up going to school? Like after you said, you know what, I can't just go with, hey, who my dad is. What was like your first step? Where'd you go to school for to get some training or just go to classes or? Well, uh, there's a place called Beverly Hills Playhouse. Okay, uh, I heard of that. In, in Beverly Hills, yeah, it's a, it was a really great school back then. I mean, the the main guy who started it uh, since passed away. He uh, he directed Butterflies Are Free. His name is Milton Katselis, a phenomenal teacher, pretty legendary. Um, and then Richard Lawson was also a teacher there. He's he's still around. He's like he's he's like my life mentor. I love that guy. Um, he's the he's the camera guy and poltergeist. Um, he did a ton of black exploitation movies in the seventies. Yeah, cool. um, I love him to death. Uh, but he started his own thing after Milton passed away. But anyhow, great environment for actors. And it's really intense. And you do like 60 hours a week. I mean, classes only classes were only 12 hours a week, but you have to like really put um, a lot of work into the scenes that you were putting up. Otherwise the teacher would just be like, stop, go back and do the work and come back when you're ready because you're phoning this in, or I can tell you didn't spend the appropriate amount of time on it, which was like 10 hours a page. <laughs> and prior to going there, I was like, how do you spend 10 hours a page? But um it's really it's really possible to I me mean, it's easy to spend 20 hours a page you know just soaking it in but that was through um my father was obviously friends with a lot of actors and there was one actor named tony amandela who i worked with recently phenomenal actor uh and he was over and i asked him i said well what would you do if i were me because i can't get i can't even get a call back um and he said i went here 
uh, a lot of well-known actors were there, like Giovanni Ribisi, Doris Roberts was in the class. Like, oh, wow. and so I went there and they just really, I mean, I jumped right in and like I said, just 60 hours a week for about four years. Um, and at the end of the four years, I just got too busy to keep going. Stayed in contact. Sometimes I'll even go back now and just audit. Like when I was in there, like Giovanni would come in and just audit and be like, I'm just here visiting just to just to watch some scenes and see the teaching go down again. But so, yeah, that's where I went as Beverly Hills Playoffs. Love that place. Wow, and Mo- Monique Parent went there in the early 90s. She Monique Parent. Yeah, she was in a bunch of she was in like she was in like the Skinamax type of movies, but she was never mm-hmm. like in that part of it. She was always in those. <laughs> and then she was always in like B horror movies. But she's like right one on. of those people that you saw on Showtime or Cinemax late at night. And you just remember because she had like these eyes. They, but I talked to her a few years ago and that's where she went. Like she grew up in like Northern California and somebody told her like, go out. They mentioned that Beverly Hills Playhouse and that's where she went. Very cool. I definitely know her if I saw her face because the late night Cinemax, it was my, that was my jam when I was a teenager. Was. <laughs> like 14, 15, it's like I was watching with the lines on it. Yeah, know? dude. <laughs> but that's cool that people go back. I think that's what's great about acting that it's like such a sense of community because you're always learning and you're the, the fact that Giovanni BC or you're going back just like, you know, check in, uh, you know, cause everybody can always learn. There's actors, uh, actors forever have people on set helping them with lines. Oh yeah. Yeah. For dialects sure. I did, and everything. Yeah. I've done movies with few stars who have their coaches with them on set, um, dialect coaches on set. It's just, I mean, it's so nice to, I mean, it's hard, it's hard to, to kind of be outside yourself and know what you're doing. And of course, uh, great actors are all capable of that, but why not, not have somebody whose specialty is to observe your performance and give you notes, especially if you trust that person. Yeah. So after your four years, what is it from there? You said you were getting busy. Were you finally getting callbacks, roles, or were you writing oh, yeah. at this point? Immediately, like immediately within like six months of getting there, I started to book wow. roles, right? Because it was just like, it's like going to the gym like you're putting up work in front of a hundred, it's like a hundred people in the class about and in front of a hundred people getting real time feedback from a master person. And then you would bring the scene back again. So it's like, you take the notes, you come back and tweak your performance. Sometimes you bring it back three or four times um, just to really nail it in. So that really trained you on how to attack a piece of material. Cause prior to that, it was all about like, yeah, I got these lines. My memory is really good. I can read them four times. No lines. That's acting. It's not. Right. So, so it's like once I knew how to attack the material, it, everything, everything changed. I just started booking a lot as an actor at the end of the four years. I was just like I was super, super busy in front of the camera. And so, yeah, I just I just continued on with the professional uh, life. But but a lot of love and respect for that place. Yeah. So what was obviously this is something you always wanted to do and not nothing would obviously, I think, deter you. And then obviously that's why you're probably you know, that's why you're still doing it. What was like the role? Was there like a show you're on or a movie that you did that you're like, you know what? I can legit do this for the rest of my life. Well, obviously you wear different hats and do like the editing and directing and everything. But was there like a moment that you remember that you're like, I can do this forever? It would have been prior to me actually professionally starting work. I just, yeah. you know, I grew up, I grew up around it. And I just loved, I loved the vibe on it. It was probably on is before I was working. I was young. I was probably on the set of St. Elsewhere. Nice. Because I was like, that show ran for six years in like my most impressionable years. I was probably like uh, five to nine, 10 years old while I was on that set. And uh, they just had such a good vibe. So many talented um, creators, 
uh, Bruce Paltrow, uh, all the actors, Howie Denzel. It's like those guys were there. And I, I loved being on that set and watching really professional people like run a tight ship, but also have a blast doing it. There's a real family vibe there. And it was like, it's so much fun on that set. I was just like, that's when I was really like, yeah, that's, that's, this is what I can imagine any other industry where you could create like this with people with like an extended family on a weekly basis. That was, uh, that, that was kind of it. And then, yeah, I, every movie experience has been such a small industry, especially now I've been doing it for 20 plus years. It's, just, it's nice to see people like there's a PA. Um, I was thinking of her because somebody brought it up. Another interview I was doing is a PA worked with me on a really small film I directed in the early 2000s. And I knew she was super smart. And now she's a huge director doing all kinds of stuff. And I just see that all the time. It's like people from decades ago that I knew just like still still just just upping their game and doing really cool stuff. Yeah, no, you just have to get your opportunity to start. I talked to a guy that worked on, I think it was when they were doing Ghoulies Go to College. And uh, this guy, Ghoulies Ron, Go to College? Yeah. So it was a part three? Yeah, oh, it's pretty funny. And the funniest thing about it is they speak in that one. And one of the voice actors is Richard Kynes, which is the I most random Kynes. person yeah. to be a voice. And then the other guys are like actually big name, just like voice actor, kind of like cartoon voiceover. But this guy, Ron Schmidt, did... Uh, he was the cinematographer on it and he was talking about like, he's like, it's so funny when I think about that movie and he named like three of the people that worked on this, like sort of crappy kind of like cheesy B horror movie. And like one person's like a big wig at like CBS, another person at like a higher up at Netflix. And he's like, it's so funny. Like if you don't know where your journey is going to begin and then you know, look what work can happen. Like you said, you met somebody and you saw something in them on this small movie and then look where they're at now. Yeah, totally. And like, even uh, there's another person who I didn't quite remember who was on a movie even earlier than that, even more low budget than that. And I called over to CAA as a big agency um, looking for an actor. He's like, I PA'd for you on a show called Moving In in 2004. I was like, hey, man. Um, <laughs> I said, I hope I was cool. I was directing that movie. And he's like, yeah, man, we were great. Uh, and I, yeah, he was, he was, uh, and I did some business with him in that capacity, like many years later. <laughs> so it's started, a small, small. So industry. you started directing pretty quick, like right after the school. Like, when would you say, like, you went to that school late 90s? Like, when you were at the Bill, Bill uh, Hills Playhouse? Two two, uh, I was 99 to, uh, oh, wow. to like 2003. Okay. Yeah. And, and as I got later into it, so like the last year of that four years, I was more in and out because I was, I was constantly booked and they want you to do that. Right. That's like they're, your whole goal. They're like, come back. But um, your whole goal is to get you working. Right. Uh, and so my, my, my journey into directing was kind of twofold. My, my father had always expressed to me the anxiety that he felt having two young kids and relying on acting work and like auditioning uh, to get gigs. And he had nothing to worry about in retrospect because yeah. um, he was doing really well uh, but he, he's like do he's like yes film tv like totally support you acting and everything just you know try to do a lot of things just so you never have to worry about auditioning for gigs so that was something he always told me and I was just like ah fuck you I'm gonna be bigger than Johnny Depp <laughs> but he, he was right there's something nice about it uh, and then uh, when I was in the, in the acting class uh, I was putting up like an original one act one act play um, and the teacher I was acting and the teacher's like, you should, you should direct something. Um, I think you'd be a good director. And so I started directing plays like these one act plays. And then 
somebody who had came to the play was a fellow student saw it and said, Hey man, I love this original play that you guys have going. I got five grand. I'll put it on my credit card. And so we did that and we rented equipment and we stayed up all hours on the weekend, like shooting this 25 minute short, which then got into a couple of pretty cool festivals. And somebody at a festival saw it there, this total unreliable meth head producer saw it there. And he was like, I got 30 grand to make a horror movie. And I'm like, cool, let's do it. <laughs> and then that got picked up by Lionsgate. And so uh, <laughs> it just kind of, it just kind of went from there. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't accidental. Like, cause I always, I always thought that I might direct when I was older, but I started doing it when I was younger and I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, working with actors is such a big part of directing. And from growing up on the set, I had a pretty broad uh, technical knowledge without experience, just on like what side of the line the camera's supposed to be on, like how microphones and sound work, how editorial work is. I'd always been around it. So just by observation, I had an understanding about it. Um, and I suppose that was valuable to the low budget films where they're working with people who have not even the observational experience, right? Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's how that started. And you did it. You know, a lot of times, like not, not saying every director, because there's so many directors that people clamor to work with, but there's probably, it feels so much better when you know somebody that's going, that was going through acting school and like cutting their teeth. So like knew what it was to be like on that other side of the camera as well. What was that horror movie that the guy, was that like Boa versus Python or? No, no that was uh, the one I directed was called 30 Days to Die. And it was retitled about a hundred times. And uh, I wrote it, I directed it and I edited it. Uh, and uh, it was just, uh, it was just funny. Cause I wasn't like, I wasn't screenwriting or anything, but this guy was so passionate about like, yeah, man, I got 30 grand, let's do this. And so <laughs> I just did anything, everything. He didn't pay me a dime. Um, uh, I spent like God. a couple of years of my life on it, but I loved it. I want to give it up for anything, which is, I mean, I don't know if that's the right thing to do, but it's, it's, it always, cracks me up with the younger generation who who has sometimes has no experience and they're like they want like a lot of uh um respect or whatever whatever it is without really showing it. I'm like man i i worked for free like <laughs> for years just to like just have the experience like experience is the best education but yeah i forget where i was but that, <laughs> no 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 i was asking what the name of the movie was but no that's true like obviously getting paid is great but at the same time I don't know if you're forking out money for like the camera equipment or anything, but you're able to practice on this camera equipment. So you're basically like getting this like crash course film school for free in a way. Cause it's not like you knew you like, you knew a little bit from being on set as a kid, like, you know, what to do from like acting classes, but it's so cool. You were able to, to have that opportunity like that young. Do you ever go back and watch some of your earlier work? Cause obviously just it's progressing. I'm sure every time when you, when you're working on set. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, so much of it is, is the people, um, that you have, uh, surrounding you and all, in all the departments. And so as the budgets get bigger, I'm able to hire people whose movies I loved, you know, growing up to, to support and, you know, the production designer or the director of photography. And so just that alone and having, um, people with even elevated experience every time tends to make the movies better, but I, I don't, I mean, I love all the movies I've made, but because I'm so involved in the post-production process, I tend to not ever watch the movie again, uh, unless it's like on in some unexpected environment. And then I'll be like, hell yeah, let's, you know, let's leave it on. Yeah. But it's, I'm just so over it by the time we're done with it. Cause I'll watch it. I, I, I manually edit a lot of stuff and I, you know, you watch a hundred, you watch it, you see a hundred times. 
So it's yeah. burned into my memory and I, I typically <laughs> don't have a lot of desire to rewatch it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. I talked to it. Yeah, it's true. Whenever even actors sometimes don't like to watch themselves. It's I guess because if you watch yourself, if you're very hard on yourself, it could be or it's like, oh my God, why'd they use that take or something of that nature? But uh that's cool that you're able to that you're able to do all of that. And then at the same time, I think your dad did the right thing because you're able to do these directing roles and then every so often you're on a set of like a big movie like you're working on like green lantern and all these different movies over the years while you're directing while you're producing while you're editing while you're writing so it's like that you're still getting that the the different types of experience obviously shooting a movie like some of the ones you're directing in the beginning the budget's already a lot smaller so you're still able to learn and see what's going on on the bigger sets all at the same time yeah yeah and it's in it's funny because it's like they they're so much smaller but the problems are uh they're very <laughs> they're very similar to what you see on the on the big yeah. movies it's like i like on now you see me it was i was cracking up because i was in the scene and it's like there's 400 actually it's such an expensive day morgan freeman mark ruffalo we're all standing there and the safe is supposed to explode and the the, the face of the safe is supposed to fall off and um, what's inside is a surprise to all the cast. And we spent the entire day just waiting for the the special effects guys to just have the thing blow correctly. We get up <laughs> to the moment, one, two, three, nothing happens. 12 hours, nothing happens. And it's like, it's exactly what would happen on a small movie. And then ultimately they ended up attaching a rope and just pulling it down with the rope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and it's like, yeah, you always want to keep it simple. It's a rule for low budget, high budget. It's like even running problems like that. Um, but I do, I the the experience of being on ultra low budget sets and then mega high budget sets has it, it's frustrating in one sense, but it's also been a huge asset for me as well. Frustrating because it's like when you're on low budget sets, you're working with a lot of new people who may not have the experience, and so the things aren't running like they're supposed to be running, and that's what drives me nuts when i'm when in that environment because there's a lot more work to do as the ringleader of it to try to get things functioning like you know i saw growing up or on magnificent seven um so that's always uh there's pros and cons of having that experience of being in the, a bigger world than a small world because you always want them to run with a certain amount of uh um efficiency that sometimes takes a lot of money to make things that efficient when you have 400 people you have a lot of coordinators and stuff like that which you don't have on a smaller movie Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Yeah. What, what, since you've been doing this for so long, like, and been around it forever, what is it, what does it take to get that leap? Cause obviously you've directed 17, 18 films. What is that leap to get to that like higher budget film? Is it just getting somebody to say, Hey, I want you, or is it because you, you ever audition for like directing like bigger films? For directing, I mean, the directing directing is interesting because it's like I didn't really pursue it so much. Like I told you, it's like it just kept happening like that yeah. until the budgets 
were getting bigger and people kind of knew me for these very specific things. A lot of them were like movies of the week. And I just, I did one based off of a low budget movie that I made that exceeded everybody's expectations. So they're like, here's 15 more of those to direct. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I was in my twenties. I was like, sweet. Like, this is fun. Yeah. Um, I think making that leap to the bigger stuff, it's, it's so different for everybody. It's like everybody gets to where they're going in a different way, which is what's always interesting about the industry. Like I was working with a director named Nacho Vigalando on something really cool director. And he, he made an excellent short film that was Oscar nominated, um, which opened up a lot of opportunities for higher level stuff for him right away. When I, when I look back at how I started, I may have been, if I knew what I knew now, I may have been a little more selective in what I did because making that leap, I almost dug myself a hole that I had to crawl out of because I, I always had good taste in material. It's like in school, I'm studying Tennessee Williams. And it's like, like my, my brain is in this like uh, very uh, uh, auteur kind of mode. But at the same time, I'm making money um, by doing like genre, like intentionally be stuff, which I love too. Like I love all cinema. Um, yeah. But when I would go to, you know, pitch a higher concept thing that would cost more money, they'd be like, tell us about shark movies. Like, tell us about that. I'll be like, I love those shark movies, but let's talk about this like really intense drama that I'm doing. Cause this is what I'm passionate about. And so people, you know, tend to think about you by, by what you, you know, your credits. And so it took, uh, for me personally, it took stepping away and turning down some really tempting opportunities to keep making the popcorn movies, which I love making, but I had to, you know, really be disciplined and turn those away so I can focus my time on the stuff that I really wanted to make. And I'm still, I'm still trying to exercise that discipline now. It's like, I get calls all the time for like a, a movie that looks cool, or it could be like a, a horror movie or whatever it is. And I have to consult my wife who's excellent and then be like, no, I'm going to keep focusing on this like really beautiful novel that could be a cinematic masterpiece. Yeah. Um, so I don't spend my time on something that may not be as fruitful, although it would be just as fun. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah, no, that's, that's the thing when it comes to, uh, that is terrible that they do look at it like that. They look at, I mean, obviously credits do in a sense matter, but I don't know. That's not, it, it, it all depends on the person's vision and how they direct, not that what, what they do in the past. They know they do that with a lot of times with like actresses. You'd be like, oh, you totally. were in so-and-so like even that Monique, same thing. She had to like change her name. She used a different name to act like the last 10 years because there's some studios that would be like, Oh, well you did Cinemax late night. We're not going to let you audition. So she just got to the point that she was like, I'll just change my name on the paper when I sign in. And then hopefully they don't catch me if I get the gig. It's it's, I think it's real easy for everybody. And I mean, including myself, I've been guilty of it too. It's like, you're looking for, like we just did uh, a sequel to half baked. Um, I saw that. That's cool, man. And I saw yeah. The people in it were pretty. A lot of times when you see those sequels come out, because that's what to make like a genre, you know, like a niche for our podcast. We we interview people that worked on sequels, and then we like the, uh, review them and talk about them and stuff. But I think that's pretty neat that that one was done. And when you hear movies like that come out, you're like, oh, it's just going to be a bunch of randos in it. But there's like a lot of cool names that you got to be in that movie. Really good script. Partially because we we started writing it in 2019 and we were supposed to shoot in April of 2020, got delayed two years and we spent a good portion of that two years working on the script. I think the script was really funny, but also we had we brought on Wendy O'Brien who she just won the Emmy for the best uh, comedic casting for Abbott Elementary and she oh, okay. was genius. I mean, with her ideas, like she suggested 
Dexter Darden was mine and the director's idea. And he was brilliant. Like we knew he would be, but then she suggested a guy named Moses Storm, who I had never heard of, but ended up being like one of my favorite people I've ever worked with. Um, so she helped put together a really good cast of Jeff Ross and Harlem Williams and all that stuff. Yeah. But, but to your point that you're saying before, it's like when we were looking for a director for this and I'm in love with the director that we got, he's a, he's a close friend of mine now. Um, but we put on so many great people who I thought would do really well with the material. But when it got up to the studio level, it was always like, well, where's their comedy experience? I'll be like, they had this, they did this great picture that I've seen, like I know their work and there's humor in it. So I know they're capable of comedy. And they'd be like, no, nah, no, nah, we need to see something they've done straight comedy for. So it's always a challenge unless you can show a proof of concept of like a, that, that very specific thing that you're looking at them for. Yeah, I think it's so much money goes into it. I think that's maybe why they need the proof mm-hmm. for movies is they always talk about like they like studios sometimes. I don't, I don't know, probably big budget studios. They probably do have more money, but they always which blows my mind that they could be like, well, Nick Cage is going to be in this movie. I, I'm not saying now he would draw as much money, say 20 years ago. They'd be able to go to a bank and be like, hey, the last five movies that Nick Cage did brought in X amount of dollars and then they can get a loan based on that. I, I don't know yep. what I was watching. And I was like, Holy shit. No, well, no wonder why a studio wouldn't give like a young actor who might be the next star. They, they can't even offer them that role because they're not going to get the funding for it. So there's like this game you have to play like this give and take. It's hard to. Yeah. yeah. There's a, there's a list. There's a, there's a, a list that we collect from our international partners and it's who has value. And they're kind of rated on a scale of one to five, with five being the most value. So you just can't, like, even for uh, for Devil's Peak, the movie that I have that just came out right now, initially, I'll, I'll start by saying Billy is like the perfect choice for the character in there. Yeah, but initially, when the, when the director is like, I love Eric Banya um, for this thing. Um, and so do I. I think he's an awesome actor and he was great for the role. And the international market's like, no, there's nothing for us. Um, and so I think he would have been great in the role and he would have, been, he would have taken it. Um, but so we, and that also delayed us too, because before we had the Billy idea, which was ultimately the right idea, we spent months like trying to figure out who to cast and had some great ideas like Eric. And then we'd go back and they'd say, no, zero values and no, no green light with that person. And you think about him, how great of an actor he is. The roles that he plays. Oh my god! Yeah. Even like when he plays, uh, what was the one he did? It was like that. Uh, god, it was based on that podcast about that crazy. Uh, he was like a scam artist. I forgot what channel. It wasn't on like Lifetime, but it seemed like a Lifetime type movie. And he plays like this skeevy guy that. God, it was like a huge podcast too. It wasn't like like that first big one, Serial, that came out. It was like another one, but he plays this guy. And just the way he plays his character, you can't believe it's him. He's like dressed like real f- weird. And yeah, it was, God, what the hell? I forget the name. Of it. And, and it changes, by the way. That, that's the that's the weird thing. And it's like, it's, it's tough. It's always tough being an actor because you have these these total peaks like in, in valleys. And so like, like, like a couple times a year, you get a new list. And you'd be like, oh, he's back. He's here. And now he's like, for <laughs> reasons unknown, like he doesn't even have to have a movie come out. <laughs> It'd just yeah. be like, oh, they really want him. And it's like, you do some digging. They'd be like, they love him in Germany because, you know, this show went into syndication and it's the highest rated show now, even though they shot it 10 years ago. It's yeah. like, okay. So it's like, it's a whole science. I, I don't get too involved with that. I have some really good partners who do, and I just rely on them for the information. <laughs> so for this movie, were you involved like 
did you read the book and say, Hey, this is something I want to be behind for devil's peak. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we did this one uh, in particular, uh, Josh Kesselman, who's a really good friend of mine, is the other producer on it. He brought he brought me the book and he's like, I have this book. My other client, uh, he's also manager, rep, uh, wrote Appaloosa, which is a really cool Western. It's a very similar tone. Um, and so we just partnered on it immediately. And then we spent a couple of years putting the whole package together with director, cast, all that stuff. So what was like the full cycle of this movie from when it, it recently came out, right? Theaters a couple of weeks ago, and then it dropped on uh, video on demand last week. I think last Friday, a week ago. Cool. That's right. Yeah. So what was like that full journey? Like three years? So, well, COVID obviously changes things. COVID changed it. So we we were originally going right before COVID. COVID delayed everything. Uh, and it was the first project I picked up after COVID. It's like COVID went on long enough. We're like, screw it. Let's take a risk that we're going to get shut down because there's all these policies and regulations that like if somebody catches COVID, all of a sudden you have to go down, but yet everybody still gets paid. So the movie goes way over budget. Nobody got COVID on that show, which is great. Um, but it took a lot of uh, cojones to like pull the trigger and move forward because it got it got really risky. Um, but we um, while we were down, uh, we did a lot of work on casting because everybody was still reading. And we had a few actors attached who then became unavailable. And then suddenly we had that. It was actually Robin Wright's idea. She had the idea of Billy. Nice. And we're like, holy shit, that's the perfect person to play this role. It's exactly the role you want to see Billy play. And she uh, she reached out to him because they're friends. He came on board and that gave us the full green light. And then we prepped the movie. We had to fly uh, several of the creatives in from, from Australia, which had these heavy travel restrictions and so that got really expensive um because there was no it was just crazy there was no flights it ended up costing just to get the director here like thirty thousand dollars which we did not anticipate um it was just insane (laughs) it was insane uh so they finally got here we spent 12 weeks prepping the movie in georgia uh five weeks shooting the movie in georgia and then the post-production process was really long it was like uh over a year um just editing the, the director to the post in, in Perth and he was trying out several different versions of the cut um, and he was screening it. Uh, and then uh, yeah, we, we finally got it finished recently, but it was, a, it was a long journey. It was about four years total for this project. That's awesome, man. No, I'm going to check it out. Yeah. No, what a great cast. Robin Wright, Billy Bobbin and Jackie Earl Haley, man. Jackie Earl Haley, yeah, another Oscar nominee. Yeah. Such a great guy. I love him. <laughs> so good. But uh, yeah, Billy Bob, man, that's uh, one of the best. Like really. Crazy, crazy, talented, and creative. And his band. I never knew he has a band. And then I think I accidentally stumbled across it. I don't know. I don't even know how I found it out. And then I was listening. And they're actually pretty good. I'm like, and and you're seeing them play these venues. It's like the Bacon Brothers when they go on tour. They play this little venue in Jersey by me. Probably fits like 3,000 people. And it's Kevin Bacon and his brother playing guitar. And you're like, this is so cool. Because if he was like at a Walmart, or like out in public in a mall, people would be like swamp, like all over him. But I'm like, just hanging out, man. People like respect. And yeah, Billy, I think it's Billy Bob's band is the box cutters. I think uh, it's the box. Uh, Something like that. Oh, shoot. Yeah. They, they rock though. Actually we, uh, on one of the weekends when we were shooting. So he's friends with a uh, pretty big music producer. It was based in Atlanta and he invited us all to her house. Um, they had recorded some music together on the weekend and, and she had like this crazy cool piano and just instruments in every room jackie earl haley was on the drums 
uh, I was playing the guitar. So we were like jamming out for a little bit, but we were there for a listening party at a new record that was going to drop in like a month. And she had this incredible sound system. And so we just blasted, turned it up, and everybody just kind of hung out on like these big pillows and stuff. And we listened to the whole record. It was really cool. It, it does. He rocks. He's very talented, dude. That's really cool. One of the, I always tell people when they're talking about like Billy Bob, because sometimes people miss shows. But man, Goliath, I don't know if you watch Goliath on Amazon Prime, but God. I mean, I watch that show and I, I do because I'm a big Billy Bob fan. So I got to check well, that out. Dude, it is like, I, I was like shocked. I'm like, wow, why didn't I see anything about this? Like advertising, commercials, anything? And he just crushes it. Like him as a lawyer, I'm like, why isn't this something that I haven't seen before? But no, he's really good in it. But uh, that's so cool that you were able to just talking about like your journey, like these, like you said, like people were like, hey, it's a method. <laughs> I was like, here, shoot this movie. And then look what, then look at this movie. Like you're working with Billy Bob and Robin Wright. And then it's great because all along this time you're acting. So you're in like Terminator Genesis. There's like so many like big movies that you're doing along the way. I, I love working on movies. I love creating different capacities and being on set. So yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm very happy to be working as much as I am. Yeah, now half big. That's awesome. Is there any other sequels that you uh, that you're going to be coming out with? Uh, half baked is the only sequel on my plate right now. We have we have a uh, I'd say a bunch of original stuff, but pretty much everything that we have in development is based on some kind of source material. I just cool. I read a lot, and I tend to grab things that I think would make good pictures and uh, and. and and, and latch onto those and start developing them. So no seek, no more sequels right now. Although I do have a few ideas. It's just like a lot of the ideas I have, the rights are tricky. Like, um, uh, like I had an idea to turn, um, to do a, to do a spinoff of Jaws called Quint, but uh. it's Spielberg, it's Amblin. They're never going to let me touch it. Um, but I, I try sometimes too, but like, unfortunately a lot of the sequel ideas I have, uh get kiboshed before they can even God, really get that'd anywhere be great that'd be great like a quick... even animal house we pitched some animal house sequels too but it's like universal who owns it they just don't want to mess with that property certain properties they don't want to mess with and so that's just never going to happen yeah oh man quint that'd be cool his son yeah, like uh uh robert i can't think of his last name shaw robert shaw's son obviously sort of looks like him and he does like a play uh of it's called like quint something and it's about Does like it? the making of jaw yeah because there was right like on. obviously stories from set like i interviewed the production designer on it and uh yeah there's some like behind the scenes things like uh people not getting along and stuff but not anything too crazy it's a it's movie making you know you think about those people that's like a perfectly cast movie like dreyfus shaw like unbelievable yeah i hung out with his son a couple parties back in the day and he did look a lot like him yeah he had like the mutton chops and like yeah. everything else like he looked exactly like him and it was cool and my buddy's like the robert shaw is his dad is like oh no shit i see the resemblance it was cool <laughs> no no that's cool like yeah just movie making it's so cool that you're able to like obviously from being a kid and being on set it's something you wanted to do no matter what you'd still be doing it but it's so cool that the success that you're having along the way there's one thing I really wanted to ask you about just thinking about like the movies that you worked on uh, just casting wise. It's so cool. I think that some of these, like, I don't know if it was like a sci-fi channel movie, Swamp Shark. I don't know if that was like a sci-fi movie. It's kind it, was, of just, yeah. it was. No, just looking yeah. at the poster out of that vibe, just thinking about the people that were in a movie like that. I think that's so cool. Like 
did you have the choice of Wade Boggs being in that movie? Wade was, uh, <laughs> I think Wade was friends with DB Sweeney. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I talked to DB. Yeah, DB yeah, character. Yeah, I think DB was friends with Wade, and he was like, "Hey, my buddy Wade really wants to. He likes being in movies. So do you want to cast him?" And it's like we were almost already cast. I'm like, "We'll write something for him." And so we did. And Wade was cool as hell. He came down and hung out with us for like three or four days. Yeah, that was that was funny. that was funny. Yeah, Wade, Wade is going had a lot of funny stories. Yeah, wait. Well, it's always sunny. Does the drinking story about him, like drinking all that beer on that flight, that internet? Yeah, that, he does. He told uh, us that country. one. Yeah. Oh, he did. Yeah. yeah. It was like fifty-eight beers or something like that. Yeah. One of my favorite <laughs> memories of that show is like we were. God, it was so it was so gross, but so funny. It's like we were we were still drinking heavily at the bar of the hotel we were all staying at, and, and Wade was dipping into a beer bottle, and we were it was like probably close to two o'clock in the morning. And DB took, I'm not sure, like we tell the story, DB grabbed the bottle by accident, took a huge swig of this, of this dip and just like, I don't think he actually vomited, but he was dry heaving all over the restaurant <laughs> and Wade felt terrible. So Wade went to the kitchen and he came back with a butcher's knife and he's like, just cut me, just make up for it, just cut me. <laughs> it was a pretty wild night. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, DB is, uh, isn't it like... I don't know if you had this impression for him. At least he's an actor. He's a great actor. He's like an actor's actor, but he's just so like, as a matter of fact, because his story was pretty interesting from, he was going to acting school in New York and it was like, they were putting on a show at the end and they were like not giving him up stage time. So he basically was like, you know what? Can I just write a play and I want to put it on. So he wrote a play and I think he had like a, it wasn't like a huge cast, and he handed out flyers and he was trying to get people in and like randomly somebody that he gave a flyer to came in, saw him. And then that's how his career changed. It was like some agent or some manager was just in town and he handed them the flyer. They sat in there and then, then he was like in those movies. Cause his first like five, six movies, he worked with the Sheen family. It was either like Martin Sheen or, or Charlie or Emilio, like his first like five, six movies. But uh, yeah, what a cool guy. Uh, so I love these stories because it's like it's not like yeah you go to college you get a degree you go do this oh, it's yeah. like everybody's story is just crazy different of how people got to where they were so I've done two movies with Chris Pratt the first one was in like 2005 it was before Parks and Rec or any of that I think it was on a show called Everwood at the time um, and he was telling me back then about how he got on to Everwood and it was like crazy it was like half homeless living on a beach in Hawaii and some casting director saw him and asked him to audition for us. It's like, so, so strange how that all happens. I think those are the, that, that's my favorite part about talking to people is those stories because they're, like you said, it's never like, you know what? One day I woke up, I wanted to be an actor and I walked on the set and I got the role. It's never like that. Even with like people that you think it would be like that with like the bigger names that you like, grow up and you're like oh my god their name or their name was always in bright lights they always have those stories about like accidentally like sort of getting discovered like uh robert hayes the only reason he ever acted he was going back from going to school in like nebraska his dad got like transferred he was like in the military transferred back to california and when he went to enroll it was like just before the classes were going to start they're like oh there's nothing for you to take he's like i take something like oh you can take acting and then that changed his life. So it's like all these accidental things that typically happen, like with actors and 
you know, it like finds them in a way. I mean, then you have those actors who, who have been at it for years and years and they don't get a break until they're like 50. And then, I mean, like, uh, I think Morgan Freeman's one of those. It's like, yeah. He, J.K. Simmons is sort of like that. Simmons. I love J.K. too. J.K. Yeah, is a great dude. dude. Um, yeah, it's just, uh, it's, it's always inspired. There's, there was actually a, a gal at that Beverly Hills place I studied, uh, her name is Beth Grant, is Beth Grant. And you know her if you saw her because she's in damn near everything. Yeah. But she didn't start actually working, I think, until she was like 51 or 52. And what changed for her was like, she's a very unique looking woman. And she, in her mind, was was working towards being the leading lady. So it's like the stuff she'd work on in class was like, you know, the, the young ingenues and the teacher was just like, no, this is your casting. You know, your, your look is this. And then so when she kind of pivoted to that direction in her 50s, started getting everything because she was attacking the roles and going after the roles that were correct for her casting. Yeah. No, no. That, that'd be a cool documentary or book. I would like a book on that. Like if like the 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 origin stories of people, because they're all interesting. I'm sure your dad's like for getting Animal House. It wasn't like he probably like I'm sure he auditioned for a bunch of stuff before that, and then that came across. And he did. They, he was getting pretty pretty beat down. And then even when he got Animal House, like on the page, he didn't really realize that his role was like one of uh, the top like three leads of the movie. Like he didn't realize yeah. that until after it came out and saw it edited and everything. And it's like, what a, what a big part it was in the movie. Like, yeah. Hello. And the same thing on, on St. Elsewhere too. He, um, he was originally invited on that show as a guest star. Uh, and he knew somebody and they knew him from animal house or whatever. And so they just came on, he was supposed to be in a scene, just one scene in that show. And they ended up writing him into the entire series. He was on it for six years. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. I would say Dream Team is the most underrated comedy of all time. Yeah, I was there on that set too. That was a that was a good set. Just just a movie that not a lot of people I think have seen, which they really should. Is I think each actor in that movie plays such a great role, and like how insane. Uh, God, my brain is like I'm in taxis for the first time in my life. I was in I was in sales my whole life. And then I had kids, and I'm like, man, I really need a job that I don't have to like be working a million hours. But then obviously the job that I get during taxis and I work a million hours, then the rest of the year it's like a little lax. But uh God, Christopher Christopher Lloyd, his role in that movie, I think is God, so good. Just yeah, he so thinks good, he's a doctor. Man. Yeah, yeah, he's so good. Uh, dude, I do love that movie too. That's cool that you're on set for that. I couldn't like because honestly, when you get to a certain age, like I'm 36, I can't judge people's ages by looking at them. Obviously, it's probably online somewhere. But so you're like in your I guess you're in your 40s, right? Yeah, I was born in 81. Yeah. Okay, yeah. 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 So uh man, it's been great, man. I love just talking movies and uh you're super down to earth. One question I have to ask for you, obviously, I don't have all the money in the world, but if I had like a blank check for you. Would you rather like star in a movie or direct like a movie of your choice, like a big budget? Okay, like hundred million dollars. Yeah, yeah, that'd be it. Can I can I use it on multiple movies? Yeah, yeah, you could do that. Okay, then I mean, then what I would probably do is <laughs> I would probably take that hundred million dollars, budget it, and use it to buy all of the intellectual property 
that I want that's too expensive for me to currently afford and then figure out how to make all like build a library for life and then I'd star in some, produce some, direct nice. some. But it's like sometimes since I'm always reading, sometimes I'll come across like best-selling novels and like I, I really want this one, but they'll want like an absurd amount for the option because it's kind of a pop, uh, popular property. And I'm so, I so want it, you know, but it's like they're going to, some, somebody who has resources like a studio is going to come and be like, yeah, we'll give you 250 grand for the 12 month option. It's like, yeah. I, we, you can't, it's hard to do that as an indie, but that's what I would do with the hundred million dollars. I go buy comic book rights and all comic kinds book of stuff. Rights. Yeah. How, how does that work when you read a book? You're like, man, this is really good. Do you reach out to the, whoever the publishing company is or. With books, it takes a little uh, diligence. I mean, there's a lot of different industry resources. Like sometimes if the writer has uh, had his stuff adapted before, like if it's, uh, I don't know, John Grisham or something, he's going to have an agent already and it'll be really easy to track him down. Um, like Michael McDowell, who's a phenomenal writer who wrote uh, Beetlejuice. Um, oh, he yeah. died in 1999. But he is a novelist, uh, very comparable to, to Stephen King. Stephen King loves his work too. Um, they're, he wrote like 12 novels. They're all so good, but he died in 1999. I came across and read them all, found one that I wanted to option. And that was, that was tricky because there was obviously no contact info on him. I read on his Wikipedia page that he was married uh, to a university teacher at like, I don't know, Kansas or something. So I called the university and I got a hold of his ex-husband information, who was lovely to talk to. And he's like, there's a gal, a gal named Jane in um, Massachusetts who still represents his estate. And so then I called Jane and I did the deal with her. Oh, nice. But yeah, you just, you kind of, you have to be a sleuth and just kind of find any information you can. Um, but a lot of the times, most of the time, the novels are like, I'm working on one right now, are really easy to find. In fact, yeah. it wasn't that easy. He didn't have any representation listed, but I hit him up on Twitter and he's like, yeah, talk to my people at CAA. And so <laughs> yeah. I talked to him at CAA. <laughs> Social media is good for some things. It makes it easy yeah. to have contact. And I was just wondering like how that even starts. I'm sure obviously if you have an agent, then they have enough figures and they have some data to show like, oh, this book is comparable to another book that just got optioned for X amount of dollars. But I was just wondering like the, the true cost of that. But like you were saying some of them like 250 grand of a studio is it's pretty wild. So just that's just have to, have to have exclusive rights to try to get it made. Uh -huh. um, but they, they vary uh, wildly. Like if you wanted a property that wasn't like a New York times bestseller, but it was still, you know, well-known, I'd say that like $5,000 just for the option, not to purchase it is like a respectable yeah. offer. You basically, you're basically betting $5,000 that you can get this thing made in, in a, in a year or a two year period. Um, but the more popular the property is, especially if you're going after something with like a lot of IP, like I have no idea what Disney paid for Star Wars, but I'm sure it was billions of dollars, yeah. right? That's a, that's another form of a, a, a intellectual <laughs> property acquisition. <laughs> yeah, no insanity, but yeah, man, Griff, this has been great. Yeah. I can't wait to, I'll check out your movie. And I'll make sure to put in the episode notes so people can check it out and then enjoy your cool. party. And uh, thanks for still taking the time. I appreciate it, man. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. It's been fun. Thank you. Man, Griff, that man, that weed box story. I wanted to use that as the promotional clip, but I'm like, you know what? He was like, should I tell a story? Which I don't think DB would mind uh, anyway. But uh, yeah, I love every second of that. So if you made it to the end, you got that. Good for you. Good stuff. So yeah, so man, that was such a fun conversation. Just hearing about you know growing up with a dad 
that was so funny and so many things. So it's cool uh, what he what he took from that and what he learned as a young kid on seeing elsewhere, seeing how people moved, how they acted on set. Very, very cool. So thank you, Griff. Uh, be sure to check out his movie, Devil's Peak, Billy Bob Thornton, Robin Wright, Jackie Earl Haley. I'll put the link in the episode notes, but you can watch it. It's on demand now. So it was in the theaters for a while, but uh, it's on demand. So check it out. Really, really, really good. So then again, your homework, Terminator Genesis, strap in, never seen it. So if you haven't seen it either, we'll watch it sort of together, but not at the same time and not in the same, you know, zip code or anything. But uh, yeah. So don't forget to review, rate, share our podcast, follow us on all social media at sequels only. And don't forget to check out our website, sequelsonly.com. Good night. Good night, guys.